and welcome to the latest edition of Rugby League Back Chat. I'm Matt Shaw and joining me is one of the youngest panels we've ever had. Well, if you class young at heart, Phil Kaplan has been a young guy, the editor of 4020 and then two of the brightest British coaches in the game, the York City Knights coach, James Ford and the Dewsbury Rams coach, Lee Greenwood. Chaps, there's only one place we can start. We've got to speak about it. Sean Edwards at Wigan, he's coming, he's going. Well, seemingly he's not coming anywhere now, certainly not coming to Rugby League. There's been statement, interview, counter-statement, whatever you want to call it. Phil, try and... Try and summarise what is going on here for us, please. I'm, I'm not sure we can summarise it easily. It's, it's making Brexit look simple. But the, the truth is it's an, an edifying spectacle for a club the size of Wigan. I don't think there are any winners in this. Uh, they'd identified the, the so-called dream team. For whatever reason it looks now, it's not going to be deliverable. Um, I can't see uh, an exit route that suits either party. I'm not sure there's even any point apportioning blame at this stage. It, it's really for Wigan to, to draw a line under it. Uh, to decide exactly what they want now going forward, to institute that as quickly as they can. I think it's put Adrian Lamb in an in invidious position. It was difficult anyway for him mm -hmm. perhaps to only coach for a year in the knowledge that somebody was coming in. I think Wigan announcing that a contract had been signed apparently hasn't been offered, doesn't show them in a great light. Sean Edwards now is clearly of a higher stock than he was when he agreed to take the job on. Uh, Rugby Union, uh, he's succeeded in, in everything that he set out to do, so... There are clubs or, or national coaches that are looking for him now. Wigan, in an un-Wigan-like way, for the way that I think we, we think they operate at, at the echelon, higher echelons of the game, have said, if you get a better offer, go and get it. Well, the Wigan of old would have said, he's the man we want, we'll do everything we can to get him. So nobody comes out of this particularly well, but the onus is on the club now to make an appointment. Now, if that's Adrian Lamb, uh, being given the job on a more permanent basis, that might help their form on the field. Uh, if it's identifying somebody like maybe a Trent Barrett, um, who perhaps was you know the same kind of cult hero that Edwards was to the fans, then you know he's available. Go out and get him. Uh, decide what you want. Make an announcement quickly. End this this speculation as soon as you can. Get the George Williams situation out in the open and settled and, and move on. Because at the moment, um, I think it, they are. Well, the whole episode has made the club look a laughing stock. Lee, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things during your time in the game as a player and now a coach. Have you ever quite known something play out in this manner? Um, no, I mean it was a it was a strange one to me when they first sort of announced that's what they were going to do. Put put one coach in for one season um, with a longer term plan of having someone else in. It's left them in a, a predicament now, and you can obviously see that with the the rushed sort of statements that that are, that are coming out. Um, I think where the frustration is for for Wigan is is that Sean's the one that sort of announced that they never agreed a contract, never signed one, um, and that's opened it up to to a lot of speculation now. But I think the reality is he's probably not coming. For you, James, I mean, Adrian Lamb, I, I kind of feel sorry for him in all of this because he's he's caught in the middle. He doesn't know what he's doing next year. He's trying to do the best job he can. He's trying to impress at the start of his coaching career, and he's having all this to deal with. There's been incidents while he's been there. The Zakardic incident. Now Craig Mullen's been charged with. Uh, drink driving us to the results haven't been fantastic do, do you feel sorry for, for everything that he's having to go through from his position as the coach well <laughs> coaching is a challenge uh, and you're met by a number of different challenges every week and Adrian will be aware of, uh, be aware of that and uh, for me I think it's clear that Sean's not coming over, uh, across the rugby league he's firmly embedded in rugby union and you know, Wigan are a huge club you know, some really good young kids coming through they've you know, got lots of you know, resources and it'd be, it'd be good for them and, and, and good for rugby league for them to, 
to make a decision on, on, on what they're going to do moving forward away from Sean Edwards. If that's a party in Adrian Lamb, fantastic. He would have legend there also, similar to Trent Barrett. And that would help Adrian. Uh, it would help Wigan. Uh, and you know, and I'm sure it would help their form. Phil, so what now? Look, we can come to the conclusion, I think, that Sean Edwards isn't coming. Although the way this story's panned out, anything could happen, yeah. He could be in charge by the, by the middle of the season, Magic Weekend or whatever. But... <laughs> What should Wigan be looking to do? If, if Sean Edwards isn't coming in, what sort of person should they be looking at? Should they be looking at Adrian Lamb? Should they be looking at a Trent Barrett? Should they be looking at a young British coach like two of them that we've got with us today? Absolutely. Um, all of that. But what they need to do is do it quickly. I think the, the issue is also not just about the coaching position, it's about the coaching staff. We know that when Sean Wayne went, his assistants and his strength and conditioners went as well. Um, it's about player recruitment, which again, you have to do in consultation with whoever your coach is going to be. They're not going to be doing much recruitment for this year, but they certainly should already be looking at how they're going to set up for next year and the year after, what players are on the market, what, what they're going to be able to offer those players within whatever salary cap they're going to be spending next year. That all needs to be done in consultation with a coach. Uh, it might not be that the coach has the final say. I'm, I'm not sure that's how it works at Wigan. But they need to know the, the, the cattle that they're going to have at their disposal. And that might even be one of the reasons why Sean Edwards has taken a step back, that some of the assurances he wants about how you replace marquee players that have gone are not there. If I was looking at the history of Wigan in recent years and the fact that their form was turned around when Michael Maguire came in, it might not have been the most attractive rugby we ever saw. It might have brought us a philosophy that actually emphasised the wrestle too much mm -hmm. as opposed to entertainment. But that was the start of Wigan becoming really successful again in the modern era. I think they might be looking at somebody like Shane Flanagan, who I know comes with... Uh, perhaps uh, as tainted goods, but that's the kind of authoritarian Australian voice that will that will bring a structure that Wigan seem to enjoy playing under more than most clubs. He will he will possibly be able to bring a couple of players with him, um, and I just think they need to announce some. He's available now, mm -hmm. which is not to say it should undermine Adrian Lamb, but if the plan is to bring somebody <coughs> in next year anyway. Just get it announced. I just think that we're on, uh, writing off Adrian Lampard too early. Is, mm. But well, they've already done that by only appointing him for a year. Well, if, if yeah, that's on the back of them uh, allegedly agreeing a deal with Sean Edwards. If Sean Edwards is not coming, then why can't, why can't Adrian Lamb be allowed time to, so to was, get his stamp was on Was Sean on Edwards a publicity stunt? I mean, he was a, he was announced at the time season tickets went Well, if he was, he wasn't a very, you know, very good one. But uh, <laughs> And I'd like to believe he wasn't. I'd like to believe that they thought that was the best thing for Wigan Rugby League and Rugby League and Super League. But it go, that goes against what you were saying about Adrian Lamb because they didn't know how good he was going to be. Why would you want somebody to come in behind him before you didn't give him the, chance the to The person they really wanted was Sean, wasn't it? Yeah, and straight the, away. the issue was he couldn't come straight away or he couldn't commit to doing it. So they then needed a, a, a stopgap as such, really. Um, and Adrian's not a bad stopgap, to be fair. Um, and Adrian, obviously, would you, you would jump at the chance to even coach Wigan for one year? I was to say, how hard would it be as a coach to be known as a stopgap? Well, I mean, what's your alternative? You never get the chance to coach at Wigan, which um, is a club obviously close to him, and he, he did amazingly well as a player there. So it's, you take the chance to... Yeah, you would. And ultimately, in any coaching job, you, you, you're not, it's not the most secure of occupations, is it? Let's be fair. And so Adrian's probably in the same boat as, as Lee or I. Uh, if we don't perform well, then I'm sure that they'd be, be considering changing our clubs also. And if he'd won the treble in the one year that he was given it, as a board of management at Wigan, do you still want Sean Edwards to come in? Or However, you, you could almost be answering why Wigan didn't sort a contract out, almost. Um, but to announce it like they did, uh, from not to agree, really, um, not to sign anything, 
obviously that was a dangerous one, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Adrian could win the treble this year, and, and, and if what you're saying they should do is appoint somebody else now, already for next season, because that could still happen. They could win the win the treble and and go. I just I just think the other issue for Wigan as a club and and why it's so on Wigan like this whole scenario, because I think in all the time we've been involved in the game, however old we are, Wigan have been one of the preeminent clubs, is that there's an element of trust gone between the management of the club and what they say and the fans, and that's witnessed by the fact that their crowds have dropped by about an average of 4,000, yeah. but that's nothing to do with success on the field. They are the defending champions, so something is turning the Wigan fans off, which is why I think they need to draw a line under this as soon as they can, um, appoint someone and bring in a couple of signings because it's all been outgoing so far. There's a fellow called Sean Wayne on the market as well, but let's draw a line <laughs> under it there before we go into that because there's plenty of other stuff to talk about, including the England Performance Squad, which was announced uh, on Monday. Six new inclusions, Robbie Mulhern uh, from Hull KR, Sam Tompkins from Catalan and two from Castleford in Liam Watts and Jake Truman and from Warrington, Jack Hughes and Josh Charnley. James, you're obviously part of the England set with uh, your role in the England Academy, that excellent test series victory over the schoolboys, which we're all going to enjoy for as long as we can. Um, on the face of it, what, what's your take on the squad? Is there any notable omissions, notable inclusions for you? I'm pleased Jake Truman's in there. Uh, I just, you know, I've got a lot of uh, belief in Jake Truman. I think he could become, uh, he could grow and become the, the England halfback for a long, long time. He's incredibly composed. He's he's been coached by a, a tremendous coaching staff, uh, and and he's a he's a good defender as well. You know, and it's not often you say that about young young halfbacks. And uh, going forward, I would like to see him in feature for England and 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 possibly even Great Britain. Mm -hmm. If only they had some fixtures. If only, yeah. <laughs> well, Phil, yeah. Let's let's throw negatives. Well, well, look, it, there's, there's a lot there's a lot of good things to sp speak about the Knights as well. But you do make a point. England don't have any games this year. As it stands, the Knights don't have any arranged games this year. We're expecting that to be announced uh, this week at some point. Is it, is it a bit weird that we are announcing an elite performance squad for England when England don't have a game this year? No, I think I think there's two points. One is um, it's part of Sport England money to the elite level of the sport. So I think that uh, to keep drawing down that money, of which obviously the Fantastic Academy team were, were part of that, the Knights tour to PNG was part of that. I think that's just this ongoing, the money is split between participation at the community game and, and the elite level. So uh, that that's that's fine. But the, I think the other thing is that we all know that the bulk of that Great Britain team will come from England. I, I hope there are some additions, the way somebody like Morgan Knowles is playing at the moment. You'd hope that he's going to force his way in if we genuinely are going to call it Great Britain. But getting the players together on a more regular basis creating this club mentality that was started under Steve McNamara that mm -hmm. Wayne Bennett and Kevin Sinfield are very keen on uh, is absolutely right. It's what we should be doing. We should be valuing that England shirt. Uh, I think the, the important thing about a squad of 30 is it shows there's a greater reservoir of talent. Mm -hmm. Halfback, obviously, is, is one of the key positions where perhaps there isn't as much competition. But you look at, at Prop, for example, where it's great that Liam Watts has come in. It's a, yeah. it's a reward for form. Uh, but Mike Cooper hasn't made the squad, who, who arguably has had equally as an impressive start. But it's great that we're talking about selections rather than automatic inclusions. Uh, so now I think the more often that you can get together as, a, as an elite level, the better. And without, again, wishing to put any kind of negative on it, if you're going to bring these guys together, they've got to have a reason to do more than train and meet socially. So I think it's a mistake that we don't have a, a game injury. We all want to see England play, don't we? Whatever sport it might be, we all like watching our international team play. Um, but 
they have struggled in the past to find a meaningful fixture, if we're being honest. Um, as much as you want to see the team run out, sometimes once it gets going, you're like, was that was there any need for that game? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think as a Super League coach or an L coach, you particularly want your, your players playing an extra game when there's already enough in the season as it is. So I, I probably tend to disagree a little bit. I like the fact that they're getting together. Um, and you can do a lot on the on the training field, as as we know, you can do you can replicate quite a lot. To be fair, and when you got that like type of number there, um, and the addition of the England Knights, you can do opposed sessions and go against each other, and keeping it all in house. So, I, I I tend to like what they're doing there. I'm guessing the bigger picture is they're building up for the World Cup as well, aren't they? So what you'll probably find is. The, the, a number of that squad will be part of that World Cup squad as well. Well, Lee, I want to ask you about that. I want I want you to put yourself in Wayne Bennett's shoes. <laughs> so he's he's the England head coach, building towards the 2021 World Cup. He's also the Great Britain Lions coach, and he's going on tour. He's really probably supposed to pick some people from Wales and from Ireland and from Scotland. Are you really going to do that when you are building towards 2021 and you want as many people that you are going to pick for your World Cup squad in 2021 on that on that tour? Well, first of all, thank you for putting me on the spotlight. <laughs> what I came to expect. Um, I, I don't think Wayne's like that. Um, I obviously don't know him um, as an individual, but looking at everything I've seen of him, I don't think he'll be like that at all. Mm. I think he'll want to win this series for Great Britain. Um, and if that means that there's players eligible for, for the different nations and I'm sure he'll pick that. Um, I think it will just work out that the vast majority of it will be England anyway, just because of when you're looking at the players available, they're the strongest players predominantly. Maybe one or two from, from other nations possibly. But that's just on ability rather than what Wayne's decision will be. Wayne's an internationalist as well, but I think we also have a responsibility to um, help for nations like France and Wales who have already qualified for the World Cup in 2020 and for them to prepare for it. I think playing France in France is a very different experience. So I still think there, is, there needs to be a window in the calendar. You look at the Oceania Cup, which will start in June. Uh, what are we doing over here in the Northern Hemisphere to try and replicate that? The, the England Knights squad that's going to be announced is going to include Ollie Roberts. I think that's a real shame because he had a fantastic World Cup for Ireland in 2017. If we're ever going to be serious about building up the, the, the other nations to make uh, England have the opponents that you say they need for these breaks, then Ireland need to have uh, fixtures and Ollie Roberts' aim should be to play for Great Britain as a member of the Ireland squad. So I think we've got to be very careful that we're not accused of doing what Australia do, which is going around the Pacific Islands and creaming off the best players. What's best for International Rugby League? Um, and I think you're right, it's not about adding an extra fixture, it's about everybody realising that the international game is paramount for everybody, so we need to build that in as a block in the season. I think what what sorry what, yeah. what you'll find there is when you when you play France mid season or even at the end of a season, it's predominantly the Catalans team with probably some Toulouse players chucked in there, and they've either halfway through a very important season with head coaches who are under pressure to get results that week. Usually after one game, everybody's carrying knocks and injuries, so then to perform pretty much with your almost your club side going into that international again, you can see why they never put the strongest team out. So although I agree, the very strongest French team available in France would be a very tough test. I don't think you ever get that. James, just quickly, if I could get one name from you that you think is hard done by not being in the England performance squad, who would it be? Uh, the Salford fullback, Arnold. Uh, every time I've seen Salford play, I've been mightily impressed. Ian Watson doing a, a fantastic job. And how they shape up and attack teams is... It reminds me a little bit of Castleford a few years ago, you know, before the before they started finishing, you know, top. 
Ish. All that thought, James, because we're going to have to end our first part of Rugby League Bat Chat right there. Coming up in the second part, we will pluck the brains of two of the best British coaches in the game right now. Coming up on Rugby League Bat Chat. Welcome back to Rugby League Back Chat. Before the break, we were talking about England, but we are going to turn our attention to more domestic matters than that. Because, gents, I want to ask you two about your own two clubs. You've both had your own successes this year. York have been going brilliantly. Lee, fantastic win over Featherstone this time out. You've had a couple of close shares, including against Toronto. Uh, but for you, it's your, it's your first season back uh, in the professional game at the Championship. How have you found the role at Dewsbury so far? Um, very good. Um, I'd only ever played against Dewsbury, to be honest. So I'd never, never played for them or spent too much time there. So I'd only ever sort of spent the 80 minutes playing um, before and after. And it was always just a tough place. You had to go and try to get two points and get out of there, really. Um, although the drip bread is pretty nice when you get when you taste it. But um, yeah, it was always just a really, really tough place to go. Friendly. You always knew it was like that. Um, but a real, a real hard place to go. And uh, to be honest, I want to bring that back a little bit and make that make it a bit of a fortress um, and, and make it very, very uncomfortable for teams that are, that are coming to us. But I'm, I'm amazed behind the scenes just what, what the club has got. Um, I, it totally took my, me by surprise how many people are willing to help out behind the scenes or who just help out on a daily basis. Um, and the facilities, I never knew that, that the club had certain things they could do and, and own certain things. So obviously there's a, the full-size 4G pitch that we can, we can train on. Um, but inside the stadium, we've we've transformed over the last six months into a into a gym now that we can use um, a matted room, and obviously we can train on the main pitch as well. So it's literally all there set up. To be honest, um, it's just probably needs updating a little bit. Um, and now people think at the club, and, and hopefully I can do that. That's for you, James. It York, you've had a flying start here. I didn't get the result you wanted against Sheffield, but you've picked up some fantastic results on the way. Have you surprised yourself at how well you've done so far back in the Championship or not? Uh, careful I answer this. I'm going to say no. And uh, obviously we take it a game at a time, uh, and we know that we're in a, in, a, in a tremendous competition, and there's some some really good sides in, in within that. And if we're not we're not on our game, we'll get beat, as we, as you saw on the weekend. Uh, but we're we're confident in ourselves, and you know, we're confident in our processes, and uh, you know we we know that there's there's another level in as as a side from what we're at at the minute. Phil, I'll come come to you in a minute because I want to ask you something. But just just on on yourself, Lee, you. We're at the Gloucestershire All Golds. Uh, you left on on your own terms. How difficult was it to get back in into the game? There are a lot of coach at the minute. I look at the likes of, of Alan Kilshaw as one example who did a good job at Rochdale. He's out of the game now. Is it difficult once you you step out of it to get back in? Uh, well, yeah. To to answer that in one word is um, every single year you've got players just coming to the end of their careers and looking at going into coaching and a lot of clubs do tend to go down that route of of appointing an ex-player straight into being an assistant um, and then head coaches you look at 
sort of Super League players who have fresh in the memory and have just come out of mm -hmm. out of a playing career. And but I, I understand. I understand where coaches come from. Um, sorry, the clubs come from um, in the decisions. They need to please the fans straight away with the actual announcement. And sometimes I won't say they panic, but they don't look at the bigger picture and, and further down the track. They look at an instant sort of what will win the fans over and keep them happy. Um, I always speak honestly, and that's when I speak to, to clubs as well. And if I, if I go for an interview, I'll speak honestly of what I would do and what I'd bring in there. Some people I know don't particularly like that, and, and they can already see that that could cause some issues behind the scenes, and they don't want that, which is fine. Um, obviously, I was lucky enough that Dewsbury were, were okay with what I was going to bring, and, and I'm sure I'll, I'll get enough time to sort of put my own thoughts across and, and try and make the changes there that I think are needed. I think that's that's the thing you mentioned the word time what we've lost in life in general is patience so that you know even the greatest coach at the the most elite level one defeat and they're under I heard, I heard on the way that Mick McCarthy's under pressure he's only been in charge for one game but they didn't win it 12-0 so obviously he's under pressure so that must be the, one of the hard things that you know do you get the time to institute the the way that you want the club to run not just the team to play on a on a weekly basis how heartening is it London start to the season because apart from the fact that they've come up from the division that you're now playing in they kept the bulk of that squad together and they're showing that in the top level or maybe massaging it for certain games they can be successful does that give both of you heart for the way you're going? Two, two absolute fantastic coaches in London and they've created a, an awesome culture there where players you know, uh, you know improve they improve out of sight and you look at what they've done everybody thought they'd struggle when Anthony Anderson left and obviously Wardy and Wangers took over but they took them to another level based on culture they didn't bring in any eye, eye or many eye-catching signings I don't want to be too disrespectful to anybody that they brought in uh, and they fought based on on that on that team ethic and that and that culture uh, and they've got six points of Super League based on that and uh, I know there'll be a couple of Super League clubs looking around over the shoulder having to worry about that and 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 you know all the best of Jamie and Wardy. I you know, truly think that they are two top top coaches. Phil, just on what Lee was saying, it is difficult for British coaches to to get back in the game. There is a long list right now that that really want to get jobs, but for whatever reason, can't. Do we need to do more as a sport to to help the likes of, of Lee and James who maybe haven't got a job right now and, and make sure they stay in the game and and you know something we don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's about from all of them isn't it yeah you you've already got one thing you are right what's happening now for now John Fotten's been on the phone but the, you know you, you're, <laughs> you know you get the point I'm I, making I think the important thing is going back to the James's involvement with the England Academy. I think that's how we, we have a, a pathway for coaches that you need to keep them involved if they're not at club level with representative level. Um, again, I think that's why International Rugby League is so important and perhaps you start at the top and then work down rather than start yeah, at the bottom and that. work up. I think that's how they see the EPU you know, in terms of yeah. obviously it's a pathway for players, also a pathway for, for coaches. And obviously we train against the England Knights and there's, there's Paul Anderson there, there's Kevin Sinfield there. It was, it was a great experience for, for me as a young coach, and I'm sure Jamie would say the same for him as a young coach as well. And, you know, we feel that took a lot And we, we've got Great Britain coming up, which is going to be four fantastic test matches. Again, there's a space there for somebody like Lee to be on the staff, you know, just to see how, how it works, to, you know, to, to offer a, a greater education maybe mm. at, at a level that we don't coach. Just, just taking, That's what we need to do. Just taking a step back from that, though, when, when players are coming to the end of their sort of playing careers and, and they're all of a sudden thinking about going into coaching, 
Um, whereas probably myself and James maybe differ from some. We were coaching behind the scenes. You probably wouldn't know because it wasn't top level professionally. But we came across each other coaching college teams, didn't we? On yeah. a Wednesday afternoon. You've got the Halifax Wakefield, yeah, really, haven't you? And I used to be working at Coldrail and we used to come against each other. And every single Wednesday afternoon in the student game, you've got, I mean, we coached against Matt Callan last week at Hopwood. Can't get him back in the professional game. He's been doing Mayfield for a while. I did Siddle, um, juniors and then and then first team. So behind the scenes, I think probably more players need to take it upon themselves a little bit rather than thinking the game should do something for them once, as soon as you retire. We should all of a sudden give you a professional coaching opportunity. I don't think it should work like that. Um, the grounding that I got there, um, no coaching course, no professional person could have told me there uh, what it would have been like when someone's... Uh, dog need taken out so they can't play that weekend up at Wathbrow. You know, things things like that. <laughs> You're only coming across it when it actually happens. Um, yeah. And it gives you the grounding that you need. Um, you've come across dealing with men and blokes and that is a big part of it for me. Um, so it, if I was going to change one thing, it'd be encourage more players to get back involved in, in the amateur game at juniors and open age. I mean, that, that conference level, certainly the Premier Division, is a high level. Yeah. Um, and that's, for me, a lot of those games are equivalent to League One, which is a professional level. So if you've got a lot more professional players back into the career or during the career getting involved in that, I take Paul McShane for instance now. So he's obviously been clever, done a lot of hard work there, but by the time he comes to retire, he'll have been coaching at a high level for many years then. Yeah. So then for him, I'd expect him then to go on to a good professional coaching career as well. It won't be just when he's just retiring, then dropping into it. So. I see that more of a grounding at uh, all different levels rather than just you retire and you're straight into coaching at that level. Maybe there is a case for saying that if you want to employ an overseas coach, it counts on your quota. So you make the choice well, of saying you can have three players, you might, you might even have marquee players, or one of those positions goes to a coach. Well, it's, it's a fair point because if you look at some of the work that has been done by some British coaches in, in the I take a Richard Marshall for example who you talk about patience he's, he's seemingly under pressure at Halifax at the minute which seems a bit a bit harsh but without blowing your own trumpet you've done a very good job at, at York is that something we should do to try and encourage the, the top clubs when a, a vacancy like Wigan comes up that they do take a, a young coach is, what, what do you think on that well, well I think there's some, there are some good coaches outside Super League you've mentioned uh, Richard Marshall he's done a tremendous job for a number of years dealt with lots of adversity at Halifax as well uh, and always carried himself in a, in a real positive way, mm. and uh, he could be the next Errol Powell. You know, obviously Powell he was at Feverston, did a real good job there. Castleford took a chance on him, and and, and the rest is history. You know, Castleford have, have kicked on to to a completely new level on the back of that appointment. Mm. So you know, we know Richard could be the next one. Lee, the one I think Phil made a great point. The one thing that does that Daryl Powell does need is time. Uh, he has had time to build what is built at Castleford. <laughs> I know. The thing that you said in an interview you did when you took the tutoring job is you knew you'd have time to build the club that you wanted to do. How important is it that we do give the likes of you guys who are going into clubs like yours with a chance to build it and and make it what you want to do rather than look at the results after eight weeks and you know put, draw the axe. Well, you need that. You need that because if you if you don't get that time to sort of make your changes, you will literally just stay with whatever was there before. So you may as well just either have left the head coaching before or you could get anybody to do it. So to make the changes that you think are necessary, you do need the time. You will definitely go through a transitional period, whether that's recruitment and retainment of who you actually want to work with you going forward or just how you're sort of running things. Things will definitely change. I mean, I look at you look at Leeds and Wigan, who we've already spoke about. They're going through that transitional period now. I, I'm not 
Yeah, it'd be great if every every club in every level in our country was coached by an English or British coach. But listen, look at all the other sports in, in the world. They're coached by whoever they think are the best for the job. And, and that, for me, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't lose sleep at night because there's Australian coaches in Super League or even the Championship. If if they feel like they're the best people for the job, then great. I mean, would we, would we like the yeah. chance to coach in Australia? We would, don't we? <laughs> Definitely. But yeah. just, just supportly there, you know, obviously you have aspirations to, to coach at the highest possible level. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to fulfil those aspirations because I'm a good enough coach. I don't I don't feel I am yet. Mm -hmm. and I've got a lot to learn, a lot to improve, and I don't want someone to give me that opportunity just because I'm English. Yeah. You know, to give me that opportunity because I'm good enough. I think there's two other things as well. One is there has to be a fit. So we've seen some coaches, let's take Kieran Patil at, at, at the moment, who clearly is a coach that can uh, move a team forward. Didn't work for him at Lee. Maybe it wasn't quite the right environment for him. It's really working for him at Widners. And the other thing is, is you mentioned Daryl Powell quite rightly, but it's also the staff he's got around him. Daryl does a fantastic job. There is absolutely no doubt he is in charge of the direction that club is going in from a coaching point of view. But, but we shouldn't underestimate the Danny Orr and Ryan Sheridan influence on that. And sometimes it's about putting a, a coaching team a, a together. Everyone's support staff is massively important. Yeah. You know, obviously my, I've got a great support staff. You know, I've got a, a strength conditioning team that you know collect readiness from me every week and tell me you know, how intense and how long we have to train for. You know, they have a massive influence on what we do. And, and that, that goes for every, every coach. I'm sure that league will be the same. And you know, I couldn't do my job without them, and I'm sure Daryl will admit he couldn't do his job without it without his as well. Lee, just on one of the things that you spoke about publicly recently, you wanted to get a reserve grade game organised, um, but the RFL wouldn't sanction that uh, with Halifax because you didn't have a reserve grade team in their competition. I'm guessing you want to have a reserve team in the long run at, at Dewsbury. So, how disappointed are you that you weren't given that opportunity to to get some of those younger guys that you have recruited? A game and is it is it you know how big an issue is this? Well, thanks for making that public anyway. For those that haven't seen it, um, well, yeah, we the, the way just just taking my club for an example, we um, we did recruit a lot of young lads in there, either coming out of um, academies as fourth years that were too old now to play in nineteens and had nowhere to play really, or all probably youngish lads from League One as well. Every sing, pretty much every single player was brought in as a step up. And they would have had to really step up to be ready-made championship players. So as it panned out, we we did have enough people to run a reserve grid. Um, with the amount of players that are around that would welcome the opportunity as well to play in a professional club's reserve grid, we would definitely have been able to fulfil fulfil fixtures. We didn't want to commit to the full competition, um, but we were happy to sort of play games. And, and with the amount of fixtures and the amount of times that people play each other in that reserve competition, I'm sure, well, I'm sure not many would have complained about playing us a couple of times across the season. Mm -hmm. um, I understand, I do understand the decision behind it. Um, it might have been a couple of clubs that were going to commit to it and then didn't with the hope of just doing ad hoc fixtures. Uh, and I can see that's why then they've gone across the board, right? If you're not in that competition, you can't play. On the wider scheme of things, they just it just needs to be brought back. There's, there's no there's no debate about it. Um, we I mean James came through at a similar time to me when all the scholarship was different. Um, we did have the academy, we did have the A team, and, and the stepping stones you had to go through made sure you were ready then for when it came yeah. to that first team call up. Now people go in and that is a massive jump from 19s yeah. to even League One level at times. If you look at the England under 18s, there's some great potential there. There's not that many that I would take straight away and put straight into my team in the Championship, let alone the you know, Super League. And having the reserve as, as an extra pathway where you get to play alongside 
Super League players, international players, and play against those players. Mm. You know, it's a great opportunity for someone to continue their development and something that we're really lacking at the minute. So the, the big question is, because you both use some form of dual registration or loan system, would you rather have reserves and ditch dual reg and loan? Um, or have it the other way around? Well, we, we don't dual legend with anybody at the minute. Uh, if anybody's interested in it out there, get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we did do, we used it, we relied on it heavily initially uh, with OKR, and that was because the club nearly folded in December, we started again. And we, had, we didn't have enough players, so we had to use dual registration. Last year, we were competing with Bradford, who had uh, a lot more resources than we had, and you know, we, wanted, we wanted to finish above them, so we'd used... We, I think we average nearly two players a game on dual registration, which is probably a lot less than people perceive. Uh, but we did use it. And would I prefer a reserve team for the last two years? No, I'd have preferred dual reg because I want you to, I want you to win. But for the game's growth and the development of young players, I think a reserve pathway is the, the right thing to do. And Lee, just quickly uh, on Dewsbury, um, very quickly. You finally got that win that you were you were waiting for. You nearly beat James, and he plucked you at the last <laughs> at the last minute. How how good was it to get that win over Featherstone? Um, well, it was a big relief to be honest. Even when the final, who it went, I still expected Featherstone to score three tries. <laughs> it's been it's been that sort of season. It's been I, crazy, really. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to say anymore. I don't want your players to uh, lose the confidence coming up after the break. New York and Ottawa will get the guys' thoughts on whether the great North American expansion should continue in rugby league. That's coming up on back chat. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Gents, we've got about 15 minutes to go. New York and Ottawa. Now, this has been announced. They are going to be presenting to clubs. Your two clubs, as a matter of fact. Initially, James, what's your thought on the potential for a New York franchise and, and an Ottawa franchise coming in as soon as next year? Well, I would imagine they'll be incredibly well-resourced. Mm -hmm. And on one side, they'll bring an awful lot to the game. You know, they'll bring increased uh, you know, TV media coverage, you know, uh, a new market in terms of sponsors, supporters, potentially even players longer term. But there's also some, some logistical issues to consider from, 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 from club, other clubs' uh, side of things. And it'd be interesting to see the details on, on both sides when, when, they, when they come out. Phil? They, we've got Toronto, and depending on who you ask, they've been a rip roaring success, or they've just been an annoyance. Uh, what? <laughs> why is this, I, I personally think they're great, but anyway, Phil, what, what do you think we we need to look at with these two franchises? What do they need to be able to contribute to the sport to make them worthwhile? I think the important thing at the moment is the sport as a whole, and this includes the NRL. Mm -hmm. Expansion is on the agenda. Um, they're talking about maybe relocating existing clubs, perhaps expanding to 18 teams. What we're looking at throughout the whole of rugby league at the moment is the need to develop new markets. And I think we'd all agree that the one thing that the game doesn't have at the moment is sufficient money um, at, at every level to do the things we want to do, to, to roll out what we believe is a fantastic product to more people, to get more commercial involvement and broadcast involvement. 
But I'd like to know what the strategy is. It's all very well two clubs presenting, but is the sport looking to have two new clubs in at the moment? Um, What over the next five to ten years is the brief for rugby league in this country? Are, Are we looking to have a certain number of fully professional teams playing at Super League level, are we looking to have uh, a proving ground for, for new clubs that want to win? I, don't, I think the picture is so muddied at the moment. To, mm-hmm. to get clubs to present is almost putting the cart before the horse. I think the other thing is you mentioned we assume that they're well-resourced. I think the other thing we actually do need to know is how well-resourced are they? The one thing we can say about Toronto is they haven't cost the sport anything. They have got a backer who's over-invested. Uh, and whatever people may think about however many fans they bring or what uh, na- what's the nationality of the players that play for them, it hasn't cost the game anything to get 8,000 new fans in a new continent. If part of bringing either or both of them in is to get a TV deal, which again triggers more commercial revenue, then theoretically they have to play in the same division. So again, are we bringing them in at League One level, which as you all know from Gloucestershire can have a detrimental effect on that competition more than anything else. Are we looking to bring them in at whatever level Toronto happened to be at at the time? Too many questions for me. It's too early to be asking the clubs. And it's also, I think, an abdication of responsibility from the governing body. This is a decision that they need to make. Well, Lee, if let's say they go in at part-time level. Let's say they go in at the championship which is only part-time. You'll know, if, I mean, you're going to Toronto um, in July, I think it is. There are tr- challenges for players who are part-time getting the time off work. Now, if you potentially got free in, that is a big ask of part-time players to get that time off work and get over there. It's Is it maybe too many too soon? Um, first of all, I think to bring any expansion club in, um, I, I'm all for it, by the way. Um, they need to bring something to the game. Mm-hmm. So whether that is opening up a new area in this country that can then allow a thousand new players to be playing the game over 10 years in that country, in that county or that area, then then that's great. If it's instant success and bringing a load of money and exposure to the game now, I think we all agree it needs it. So for me, uh, let's look at getting them in rather than how we'd need to keep them out. I think look at look at the logistics. Yeah, if you put them in League One, it almost takes a promotion spot away from the, the, the clubs in there that are trying to get out of that. I'm a bit different. I know the the players. Yeah, some might say, "Well, I can't get I can't get these two days off three times a year and things like that." But I don't think that's the right public thing to put across as a reason for not allowing um, multi-millionaire backers to come into the games because we've got some guys who work in a factory on a Friday and they can't get off three three days in a year. Yeah, it's not great when you're playing them when you're missing a few players, but for the sake of the game, if we if we're saying this is what we're allowing, which we already have done. We're allowing French clubs in and, and North American teams in, then we've done it. We've done it now. So let's get them in if, if everything's right. I think it's if managing about... right, could this could these new clubs put us all in a position where we're not working in a factory on a Friday, so taking those days off work, you know, it's just irrelevant. You know, we've got full-time teams against full-time teams. The sport's growing. There's more media coverage. I agree. You know, and, and that's hopefully where we want to be. Well, your, your chairman said it. Uh, I think it was one of the best quotes I saw all year. Definitely we're all, right, we're all, we're all, <laughs> it's a, everyone is too bothered about how big their slice of the pie is rather than how big the pie is. Yeah. Is that something that we, we... Look, because commercially there can be no real argument that what a New York franchise could bring in particular and an Ottawa franchise, that's gonna, it's going to build the sport commercially, isn't it, Phil? I think the issue is one that we've already touched on. It's about time. 
this isn't new. You know, the very first test series we ever had against the All Goals and then the first Kangaroos that came over a year later, we were playing games at Chelsea and Birmingham and Edinburgh. Uh, you know, you look at the Super League era alone, we've had Gateshead, you know, we've had Sheffield, you know, we've had any number of teams with a with a Welsh moniker attached to it. Uh, London are only just back and, and some would say you can't be respected as a as a, a major sport if you don't have a presence in the capital because it's not just the team that's playing, it's it's everything else that it opens doors to. We've got to decide what we want and give it time. I mean, I would imagine that at the All Golds, there were some fantastic ambitions as to, given time and the right environment to compete in. Uh, that club could have become. They've almost had to take a step backward, but the will was there to almost be doing what Coventry are doing now, what Newcastle who've got the backer are doing. And, and we don't, as a game, set out a strategy and say, look, these are the areas we want to conquer, but this is the time and the resource, and maybe even um, a ring fence against relegation, if that's what it needs, which mm. Catalan had when they first came in. Um, all of that needs to be looked at rather than, oh, there's, you know, what, what do we do next when Dr. Kukash resurrects his Liverpool bid? How many teams do we want and where do we want them rather than just present a bid and you're in no, the no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the goalposts sort of moved when they, when they did bring um, a number of southern clubs in at the same time. All of a sudden, League One, within a couple of years, turned into a lot, a lot tougher division than what it started as when they first came in. I think five teams got relegated from the Championship in one yeah. season, so it made it a lot tougher. Um, this also coincided with losing development officers in all these areas as well. So where the initial probably idea was to make these clubs competitive over time with their own players coming through by whatever route, that was almost taken away because the development officers was made redundant basically. So it made it difficult for all these areas to get a load of people playing the game, a load of children, which was, for me was the, the idea behind those. So there is things to work out behind the scenes, but I do feel as a sport, we try and think of reasons of not to bring them in rather than let's look at, right, can we work around that? Can we work around that? And, it, and you're right, it's nothing new. We've had clubs changing names, moving, so why why stop? If it means we get massive exposure for a couple of years and then, and then a club leaves... Yeah, so a bit. And James, New York say they will be based in New York, which is different to Toronto, who are based in Manchester. And I think Otter are doing something the same. If rugby league can have a presence, a regular presence in a sporting city and just a city like New York, that can only be good for the game, can't it? You'd like to think so. Obviously, uh, the the American sporting sporting market is is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York, you know, a fantastic city. It'd be great to to go across. I've got a friend who lives over there, actually. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if he'd be involved in that club. Hopefully not. <laughs> you might be able to get you the head coaching role if he's there. That wouldn't be a bad gig, would it? I'd be surprised if you could if you could pull those strings. <laughs> <laughs> but on on a serious note, though, I think one of the big and I think it's a fair uh, comment rather than a criticism is what these clubs are going to do for building player pools. Now, a lot of people say Toronto should only be Canadian American. <laughs> Personally, I think after after three years, that's a bit much. I'm but, not yeah, sure. I, th- I think we've got the wrong end of the stick there as well. Yeah. For, firstly, in the North American market, mm. the majority of teams that play at the elite professional level aren't necessarily full of players from that country. Um, even in sports like ice hockey, you know, they're not reliant but, upon but no, nevertheless, having local players. In the, but how many of our teams have local players in them at the moment? It's anyway? a very it's a very fair point. But nevertheless, isn't it important for the sport that we do? Grow a play, but for the international yes. game, for for clubs ha- in general, yes. But the, there has time, to be an yeah. acknowledgement that the gap between playing at a community level in a country where the sport is not indigenous, mm. and the professional level of having, if you like, the travelling circus coming in once every other week, is completely different. 
I think we um, we've even seen at Melbourne who who you'd have to say have been propped up artificially financially for a long time because the the NRL wanted to develop that as a market. It was really important to them. They didn't have a player from Melbourne coming through because nobody played rugby league in Melbourne for about. 14, 15 years, and they've still only had four or five that have made it at the very top level. I don't think we can get hung up about that. Um, you look at the England Rugby Union team, the England cricket team, they're not full of players that play for the English no. counties or came no. through that system anymore. Um, America is different. You're, you're either an elite sportsman or you're a spectator, and we need to recognise if we're going into that market, that's how it works. No, I, th I think we, as a game, we, we should welcome this coming in, and, and for me, Looking way down the track. I mean, if this if this is the start of all of a sudden having a North American league way down way down the track, then great, then great. And if that means that there's a lot of full time opportunities for players all over the world, there's a lot more players in America playing rugby league than what there is now, and that turns into a professional league. Then, mm -hmm. then I'm happy to be part of the start. And, of it. and you'd want it to tie into college sport. You'd want the, the yeah. was it 0.2 percent of college players eventually get to play in the NRL. There's a hell of a lot of athletic specimens who are out there that could be introduced to rugby. That has to be part of the plan. But I'm not sure that has to be linked to a franchise coming in. J James, just to uh, dispel one myth, because York have had a fantastic relationship with Toronto since since they came in. And uh, everyone mentions the crowds and how, oh, there's no away fans. York proved that that's not true, isn't it, with the crowds that you drew when you played at home to Toronto? Yeah, I think there's, there's evidence out there to suggest or support that when, when Toronto come to your to your home ground, your crowds are, are, are quite considerably bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're a unique entity. You know, how often do championship or League One uh, supporters get to watch a player like Ricky Lula Telly uh, for yeah. you know for fifteen quid or free if you're a, if you're if you're a child? Uh, so I think if it's marketed well and promoted in the right way, you, know, you, you there's no reason why that that lack of Canadian people travelling over from Toronto can can influence can negatively influence your crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, you know if. <laughs> Unfortunately, on occasions, rugby league is a fantastic sport. We do focus too much on, on the negatives. And uh, for the sport to move forward, we, we probably do need to have a look at how we can change that. Here, here. Well, we're just going to change the topic slightly to end the show because we are, uh, as ever, taking questions from our, our viewers. Now, we had Steve Ganson on last week, the head of match officials. And uh, Gareth Hand <laughs> got, in, got in touch. <laughs> uh, Lee, I'll put this question to you. Uh, he says, uh, can we discuss the issue of players trying to get cheap penalties from players in the ruck? Why not just get them to replay the ball? Or why don't we punish them for diving? Is, is this a, a very serious issue? Is this something that we are seeing increasingly grow into our game. Well, we certainly are, yeah. And, and when the games you watch on Sky, it, it does make for tough viewing, I'll be honest. Um, I don't want to comment too much on having a referee on the panel explaining every single decision that goes on or having the referee mic'd up. But just from a purely a spectator point of view, we, we do things that make it actually difficult to watch the game. Um, sometimes it's, it's almost better watching it with the volume off, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> the, the issue of trying to actually get penalties, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's every single game now. Um, there does seem to be more trying to keep players on the floor. Mm -hmm. They then stay on the floor. There's dummy half sort of tripping over them, like pantomime sort of type things going on and, and it seems to be definitely on Sky a penalty every single time mm -hmm. some of the games we see on a weekend some of them are penalties some of them are not but on Sky it seems like every single one a ball touches the person on the floor or 
is in the way and it's a penalty every time and it, it yeah. does make for incredibly tough viewing, I find. It, it, it's cheating. I'll be honest with you, it's absolutely it's infuriating. You know, I've had players do it against us this season. Uh, we've prepped for it. I've sent clips into the to the RFL to, to try and prime referees for certain individuals falling over when you when, when there's somebody on the floor. I see it on Sky, I've seen Sam Tompkins pass the ball into a player to, to win a penalty. Well, that, that was last year's thing, wasn't it? Just you just passed the ball into yeah, somebody yeah. and it's <laughs> you know, when when that was happening, you know, we had a we had a young hooker at York, Pat Smith, you know, quite a crafty little thing. And I said to him, if you do that, I'll take you straight off. I think that's what you've got to do as a coach. You've got to you've got to set standards. You've got to have you've got to have some integrity, uh, and you don't want to coach a player to cheat. And I'm not saying any coaches are doing that, but you, we're in a position where we can eradicate that. Well, from the outside in, Lee, surely the coaches are there are coaches out there that are encouraging the players to do this to win penalties. I, I'm not going to ask anyone <laughs> to name names. I know I know I'll put you on the spot a lot today, but they, surely the players aren't doing it off their own accord. They are surely being told by the their coaches to do this. I hope not. I hope not. Um, maybe, maybe that's naive. I, I think what you'll find is players will always try and find a way to yeah. win penalties. Now, there's a difference between encouraging it and discouraging it. So if one of my Fuck players, it. for instance, tries doing that, I don't like it at all. So I would tell a player not to do I, that, I, really. I wouldn't but, call it cheating so much. I'd call it gamesmanship. And I think we've had elements of that in different guises throughout the history of the sport. But I think it's a philosophical thing. If you want to clean it up, then you tell the referees that the default position is not to give a penalty, mm. it's play on. If somebody's deliberately laying in the ruck and not getting out of the way, penalise them. If somebody's injured, you've got to stop the play anyway. But the default position shouldn't be to keep stopping the game. We introduce shot for, 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 for me, so, so to get me half, coming walking across to play the ball or someone's trying to roll out the way. Yeah. Deliberately walking into him and falling yeah. on the floor for his hands up the air. That's not cheating. Just well, I disagree with you on that one. Just I think it's. I think we just. Yeah. I'd like to see a referee be strong enough to penalise that hooker for, for jumping on the floor. I don't know what the rule is. Bringing the game to dispute, I don't know what he'd call it, but. Ungentlemanly. Ridiculous. Penalty, do that again, I'll send in you. Is there not an art, just very quickly, Lee, because we don't have a lot of time, is, is there an art? You mentioned clearing the rook. Is that not an art of winning the wrestle and making sure that as the defender you don't put yourself in that position? Or is that? Is yeah. that yes. yeah, no, I agree. We we speak to our players all the time about not not getting left on the floor. And over the last sort of 10, 15 years, and the wrestle's become such a big part of it, people are getting better with the ball, trying to keep you on the floor. And there's, there's a, a whole lot goes into that. Um, but rather than concentrate on what happens when you get left on the floor, just don't get left on the floor. That's what we're trying to tell our players. We'll have to end there, gents, because unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Don't forget, you can get all the information for everything that's happening on this channel by simply going to www.freesports.tv. That's all we've got time for this week. A thanks to my guests and don't forget, we'll be back next week for another edition of Rugby League Bat Chat. Bye for now.